welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. We've uh, had to volunteer to collect an offering, so for you, right, you just hold your money up in the air, and then the plate comes to you. So with that, so that is so. I tell you, more and more folks are, are you, here at our church, uh, more, a lot more people are giving online. Um, but you know, I want to tell you all about giving online. We, we switched over from this company called Breeze and PushPay. Do you know when you pay with your debit or credit card online, we get hit with a 3.5% fee. So if you give me $100, I only collect 96 and a half. So only get $96.50 if you give me $100 by your credit card or debit card online because of the Visa and MasterCard fees. So honestly, the good old check writing is the best 100% way uh, to do that. I want to tell you, if you do pay all your bills online, the best way to do it, like say you use PNC Bank where I bank at as well as the church banks right over here, you can set up for free bill pay where I can just tell PNC Bank to mail a check for free to the church, and that costs nothing. And they will then send the money. They will, your bank will mail a check to our church for no cost. That's, that's actually better than paying using push pay. Now, we still use the online stuff because I'd rather have 96.50 than nothing. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, if you're, which we all want to be regular givers, if you're regularly giving using your credit or debit card, I get hit with those fees. Uh, with that, and that's on any, on, on any of the credit card uh, expenses, but that's the best thing. You, you need to call your bank and say, I want you to set me up for uh, bill pay, free bill pay, where you just pay a bill on my account, and they will mail a check to us. That is the, the best tool that is available for those of us that pay, uh, pay online, because more and more folks are doing that. I want to tell you the Sunday night schedule, the next uh, couple of, or next three, four weeks here at Broadway Church. I love Sunday night church. Sunday night next week, we have His Heart Quartet. This is a group from Mount Sterling. They're going to be here, and it's going to be a fantastic group. We're going to have a concert right here. A uh, really good group, and like Gene was saying earlier, they won the Gospel Music uh, Quartet contest at the fair a few years ago. So it's really a good, uh, good group we're going to have. Two weeks is Labor Day weekend, so we do not have um, a Sunday night, Sunday evening sh- uh, worship on the Labor Day weekend, I believe that's uh, the third, September 3rd. Three weeks, we will be back with our African worship, and that is going to be on Sunday, September 10th. So that's when that's coming up for that. Uh, so our next African worship service. Four weeks is September 17th, and that is business meeting night. So we, I'll be preaching that evening, and we go into our business meeting right afterwards. Five weeks, and this is how far I'll go, five weeks out. Five weeks from tonight, we have a very unique special service. This is September 24th. I have the Kentucky, let me think of the name, Kentucky Gospel Quartet Contest? Maybe, and it's not a contest, it's a, it's a bunch of groups are coming here, and it's going to be like three hours long, so you need to bring a snack. Although there's no eating or drinking sanctuary, except for me. So, uh, <laughs> bring my water. So, but uh, it starts, I think, going to start like 5 or 5.30, and it's going to be an extended service. Remember that group we had back in June, uh, Joyful Souls? They're heading it up, uh, but several of those other groups are going to be here. 
So that's in five weeks. And it's going to, one group plays, and from my understanding, they vote on them, and then the next group sets up, and they play, and you vote on them, then the next group. So it's going to be like a three-hour church service. It's the, it's the old-timey singing uh, in a church that they would have. So it's going to be really unique. Uh, that is going to be five weeks on September 24th. So uh, coming up right around course. So that's our Sunday evening schedule. I want you to open up your Bibles here. We're going to look at two passages here in our Bibles. And the first one's going to be, and actually in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 38 through 42. Then we're going to flip over and look in the New Testament book of Titus, a book we don't hear a lot about after. Titus is right after First and Second Timothy. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And this is about being a Titus 2 woman. And a lot of times, unfortunately, in, um, in churches, you hear all these qualifications about uh, for men and as well as about um, male leadership and uh, character uh, issues for deacons and ministers, which that's all through the Bible. But the Bible also talks about roles and the responsibility and the character of being a woman, of being a female. And that's something, as Scripture, we want to make sure we're teaching the whole counsel of God and folks, uh, folks need to know. You know, I listen to, as y'all know, I'm podcast listeners. I listen to, I, I listen to, and I'm not bragging, but I listen to about three, four, five hours a day of podcasts. Most of that is Scripture and sermons. Uh, there's some news stuff in there mixed in, but mostly it's sermons. And one of the great ones I listen to is Focus on the Family. Phenomenal podcast. And they talked about the crisis of young women today. You say, what's the crisis of young women today? There is a crisis of young women today. And that's because they do not have godly and appropriate relationships with their fathers. And when you, if you were to marry someone... Say you're, say you're looking to, let's just say you're single, and you're looking to get married, and you're a young man, and you're going to marry a woman. And this woman here you're marrying, you're thinking about, you're in your early, mid-twenties, and you look at her, and let's just say her dad, for most of her life, has been absent or out of the picture of her life. Just absentee father. Who knows where he's at, or they know where he's at, but just he only sends her a Christmas, birthday, just rarely does she speak to her dad or hear anything what's going to happen what this christian um, teacher a female lady was saying what's going to happen in that marriage is that man doesn't realize but he's going to be paying he's going to experience a lot of trauma and a lot of issues in his marriage from her lack of having a father because she has not seen what spiritual male leadership looks like. She didn't have a good relationship with her dad. She didn't have a loving father. And then she's marrying this Christian man who maybe he had all of that, and he's stepping into a marriage of a woman who doesn't know anything about that. That is a recipe for, in many ways, a lot of problems in their marriage, especially, especially in the early years. They're going to walk into... What's my role? I've never been with a godly man. I've never seen a picture of a godly father. And that is a crisis in, 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 in many ways and in Christian families when you do not have, when young women do not have a godly father in their life. 
So it's the responsibilities of not just women, but also of fathers to teach women about the Lord. You shepherd your daughters and your granddaughters about Jesus. You guide them along and teach them appropriate things they need to know. And we're going to see that here in the Bible. And Jesus is going to set an example for us. And I really got this from, if you remember a few weeks ago, I preached on Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? He came out of the grave on the fourth day. Jesus brought him back to life. Called him out of the tombs. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha were very close to Jesus. Lazarus, we just know him, he was just dead and he came back to life. He had to take off his grave clothes. But Mary and Martha, they knew Jesus very well. So that's what we're going to pick up here. You're in your Bibles, and you're in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I think we have our scripture. If you don't have a Bible or you're not using your pew Bible, we've got it up here on the screen. That is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. So we have Mary and Martha. So Martha and Mary are obviously sisters. They go in, Jesus goes in their home. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. So Jesus goes in this home and he's teaching about the Lord. He's instructing people about the ways of God in the kingdom of heaven. And he's got this woman named Mary who's literally just sitting there, just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking up every single word. I always say in church, I am convinced if you go to church, you need to sit on the first two or three pews. And the reason why, you have so much of a better experience. I look out there, people who are sitting towards the back, there's so many distractions. You can hear other things. There's people coming and going. You are, if you come to worship and you sit front and center, you pay attention, you can hear better, you get more into what, to, what you're doing. Because remember, the, the devil, he wants to... Remember this parable of the sower? And Jesus says, you go out and you sow some seed. And remember what happens to the seed that falls on the path? It said what happened was the sower would go out, which he said the seed is the Word of God. And they would spread out the Word of God. And it, Jesus interpreted this passage, actually. One of the few parables he actually explained what it means. He says the devil would come along and take up every little seed. Literally, you go out, you can actually go to church here at Broadway Baptist Church and get zero out of this service. It's completely possible. You can sit in the back. You can actually sit in front. You can sit wherever, but let's just say you're sitting in the back. You're playing on your phone. You're totally looking out the window at the cars going by, looking at the weather, seeing who's here, seeing who's not here, seeing what people are dressed like, looking at people in the choir, looking at me. I'm just totally distracted on what you're doing. And literally what's happening is the devil just comes along and picks up all the, word, all the seed that is sown. And that's why it's so important for when you want to learn from Jesus, you literally, Mary, I believe this is an example here. This woman's saying, I'm, just, I'm going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. I am here 
to hear what the Lord says. I'm not here for anything else. Don't want to be distracted. I'm not worried about what they're doing back yonder or whatever else is going on. Mary was that person. And that's why even when you're at church, you always have to be very aware of all the distractions going on. And if you teach a class or you ever do anything at church, you always want to make sure the doors are closed. You just have to think about, okay, what distractions are going on around here? And you just have to go off and, and block those off because that is what the devil does. That's the seed that falls on the path. That nobody's The devil's just going around, taking it away after people hear it. Happens all the time. And we have to make sure that when we are in the presence of other people, we're not being a distraction and we prevent all other distractions from other people. So right there, Mary here, she's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening to what he has to say. But Martha, here's the opposite. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. She has these things she has to do. Think about all the things you have to do this week. Are you going to have a busy week? I mean, you're, it's, it's Sunday. You're just thinking about all your appointments. I mean, uh, I mean, I think about this week. I have to take Elizabeth. She has to go to this bluegrass Christian camp for her school. Saturday, we have to go to cross-country practice or game down in Somerset. I mean, you just, for Benjamin, then you just sit there and go through your mind of all the things. Tomorrow, I'm going to Baptist Health because we have a lot of folks in the hospital. You just sit here and do this. You think about all the things you need to do. And you can just be distracted. And it's easy to just think, like, gosh, I've got to do this. God, do this. God, do this. That's Martha. I mean, she had her many tasks at her house. She was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked. So she's getting frustrated because she's not getting anything. All she's doing is cleaning and cooking and serving. And the thing is, someone has to do that. But there's sometimes in our life that we just have to accept it's okay to have a dirty house. It's okay if dinner's an hour late. It's okay if we're going to eat lunch. It's okay. There's a priority here that Martha is missing, but Mary has grasp. And Martha doesn't get it. See, the, the presence of the Lord is more important than your many tasks. What could be more important than going to worship on Sunday? When we die, does God care if we completed our to-do list? Does the Lord care if we have a clean house? I mean, heaven and earth is going to pass away. Tribulation is going to destroy everything. Anyway, everything's going to, nations rise and fall. The United States could be destroyed. I mean, things come and go. What matters is what Mary has picked there. And it says there, Martha's, she's just distracted. And this spirit of distraction is rampant everywhere. And I have my phone there on the front pew next to Gene. But the phone in your pocket or the phone you're looking at right now, I believe is the greatest distraction ever. Ever. You can't. The devil could not come up with a better distraction than a phone in your pocket. Because at any moment, it could buzz, ring, notification, text message. I mean, you could just go on down any possible way. And then when you're looking at your Bible app, think of all the other apps you need to be checking. What could you be missing? 
if you don't check those other apps? Who could be talking to you? What news do you need to know? Do you see the story here, what we see? And I believe when we get to, when we get to Titus chapter 2, this is, Jesus is telling us this. He's saying, this lady named Martha, she's, just, she's here, but she's not here. And I believe we're surrounded by folks like that. Keep going in your Bibles here. Martha's distracted. She's upset. She goes to the Lord and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Jesus, look at this. I'm getting gypped. I don't know what you're saying. I've missed every single word. Don't you care that I've missed it? And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. So she's upset. These are two sisters. Do you have a sister? Do you ever fight with your sister? These two sisters apparently are used to fighting with each other. The fact that she felt freely enough to talk about her sister like that in front of her sister. She's trying to get her sister in trouble, and her sister's right there. It's tattletale. But the thing is, you think about it too. What probably Martha was doing socially was the right thing to do. I mean, you need to clean the house. No one wants a dirty house. Someone has to clean the toilets. Someone has to vacuum. I mean, it has to be done. You've got to cook food. You can't leave pots and pans forever in the sink. I mean, these things must occur. But the timing was not right now. These things are important, but not now. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. There's all these things you're upset about. But one thing is necessary. One thing. Say, this is it. I believe if Jesus tells us there's one thing that's necessary, we need to know that one thing. What is the one thing? Look here. Mary has made the right choice. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary made the right choice by ignoring all the other things to do and to sit at the feet of Jesus. The spirit of distraction is one that will rob us from the Lord and it robbed Martha and we need to make sure that we don't and that look at that phrase and it will not be taken away from her meaning Mary received the blessing from the Lord and Martha didn't Mary left that meeting with Jesus feeling her soul was filled she she experienced revival she experienced something Martha didn't. It is possible to come to a worship service here at Broadway Baptist Church and you have one person who is totally in the Word of God, who is getting saved, who is hearing from the Lord, who is, feels close to the Lord, who feels this message, this service, this song, it's for me, like God preordained me for this. And there is another person that's going to be here. They're thinking, I'm going to go ahead and start going on Google to find a new church. I'm getting nothing out of this place. When will this service be over with? How soon can he end? When is my escape route out? In the same service, you will have one person who is in total revival, who's getting something from the Lord, and another who is totally distracted. Can't wait to leave. Never coming back. Even promises never to come back. Even go tell other people not to go there. 
I mean, that is Martha. She's just, and she even speaking bad about her sister. She even puts her sister down, like, Lord, don't you care? Like, I'm getting robbed. Don't you care about me? And Jesus looks at her. Have you ever felt this way? You feel like, Lord, why am I not sparing the spirit of God? The Lord put it on Martha. He said, Lord, he said, Martha, Jesus said, Martha, that's your fault. You're the one that's sitting here being distracted. If you're distracted tonight, it's on you. It's not anyone else's fault. Everyone has a to-do list. We've all got a million and one things to do this week. We're all going to be busy. Everyone's overwhelmed. Everyone lacks sleep. But you can't blame other people for that. That's, you take responsibility for your relationship with God. And Mary understood that. She thought, hey, this is Jesus. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing and listen to this man. Who cares what my sister does? I don't care if she tells me. I'm here for Jesus alone. So understand these two ladies here. When we think about women, Mary, I mean, you cannot miss when Jesus says, but, but Mary, this one thing is necessary. And she's made the right choice. One thing, the one thing necessary in verse 41, that's listening and learning and sitting at the feet of Jesus. So this, this evening, we want to talk about what does it look like to be a Titus 2 woman. I want, I want women to be like Mary. We want to sit at the feet of Jesus. So flip over in your Bible to the book of Titus. Titus is a small little book, and this was possibly a Paul's last book he ever wrote. It's before Philemon or Philemon, however you want to pronounce it, and before Hebrews, and it's after First and Second Timothy. That's where you'll find it at. So Titus here... This is after Paul got out of prison in Rome. Because remember, the book of Acts ends in Acts chapter 28 with Paul is in prison in Rome. But then we know he got out because that's when he wrote First and Second Timothy and he wrote the book of Titus. So what happened is he's writing this letter to, an, there's an island in the Mediterranean called Crete. And it's a pretty large island. Paul went there several times. But there was a man named Titus. And he is pastoring a church. And Paul helped uh, encourage and plant the church and knew Titus. And he's writing this letter to this man to encourage the people of Crete how to live godly Christian lives. How do we go about living among island life? You know, a lot of times the people in Crete, they were, it was kind of a wicked place. A lot of times island life is a very laid-back, whatever-goes atmosphere. Who cares? You know, we're just stuck on an island you know, this is what we do, just wait till the sun goes down, sleep outside, it's warm all the time, uh, just a very casual atmosphere. But that's not what Paul is going to encourage people to do. And these instructions we see here are going to teach us about uh, how, no matter what, our age, we are to honor the Lord. And if you have your bulletin insert, you can turn over on the back and you can follow along and see these different, what we might call, assignments that Paul's going to give to us. Because for us, we want to be like Mary, and we want to sit at the feet of Jesus, and we want to hear what the Lord has to say. And this is a message for us how we live. Verse 1, we're going to read eight Bible verses here. Titus 2.1 But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Paul is writing this pastor named Titus. And this is the sound teaching. Sound teaching means when you come to church, 
you need to hear a message about God, about the Bible, about the Lord. You want to hear and sing songs about the Lord. We're here to honor the Lord. You never want to go to a church and hear about other things such as politics and just how to be a good man, how to be a good business person. Those might be helpful in life, but the object of worship is the Lord, and this is sound teaching. So Titus is instructed, you make sure you teach people soundly. Older men are to be, verse 2, self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in the faith, love and endurance. So right there, this is the, he starts out with older men. These are ways uh, that folks would need to know how to live. These are good attributes. Then we shift here, in the same way, older women. One of the unusual things, and why I bring this up, is a lot of times in Paul's writings, particularly in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you don't see a lot of instructions towards women. But here in Titus, you do see those instructions. Uh, you also see instructions for women how to live, specifically women, in the book of 1 Corinthians. So really, outside 1 Corinthians and Titus, you really don't see these um, gender-specific uh, roles for women. But here we do see those older women. We're in verse 3. So look at the words that he uses here. Are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. That means you don't allow alcohol to dominate your life. We live in the most alcohol-driven culture in the world. If you are on social media, it is every fifth ad is about alcohol. Or it's about people drinking alcohol. And even if you follow soccer, you know, if you follow soccer right now, you're hearing all about Messi. I don't know if they won. He plays for Inter-Miami. Anheuser-Busch sponsors him. So all he's doing, I bet because he's such a, alcohol is a poison, by the way, high, prof, high professional athletes wouldn't want to drink alcohol because it affects your playing and makes you worse. I bet he really, other than he's having to drink it for the commercials, I bet outside of that, I bet he rarely drinks. He can't, is how, how much of a high performance athlete he is. But it totally drives his advertising and his, um, his, his thing. So, the Bible's telling us that we're not to be living this way. We are to be reverent in our behavior. We're not to be slanders going around uh, speaking negatively. So reverent meaning you're to, you're to have a, a, a respectful attitude. You're to be truthful. You're to be level-headed. Out drinking should not be a part of your life. And then it says after that, for uh, older women... It says they are to teach what is good. So that means they are to be a teacher. These people, these women on Crete, had qualifications for their assignment. And they want to make sure reverence, truthfulness, level-headedness, and being a good teacher. That is what godliness looks like for women. So if you're a single man and you're looking saying, I want to get married. You want to, these are the type of qualities you want to look for in a wife. And then it goes on to say here, keep going in verse, in verse 4. And this is why uh, you should do this. So that they may encourage the younger women to look at this. Younger women should love their husbands, love their children, 
Be self-controlled. Be pure. Be a worker at home. Kind and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. That means all of these responsibilities here, these assignments to younger women, the purpose, the overall purpose, is to make sure the word of God is lifted up. He's saying you shouldn't have men who are just godly heads of the home and then the wives are just doing whatever. No, nobody cares. Titus is saying, Noah, the, the women should fall under the headship of the Lord just as much as the man. And you look at these here for young women. It says they are to be self-controlled. That means there, when it says be self-controlled, they shouldn't lose their temper. It shouldn't be screaming and yelling all the time. Purity. And if you own, own a phone, you know how impure a phone certainly is. Workers at the home, it means they shouldn't just be going about partying, going from place to place. It means they have a home life. They, they use their home for ministry. And it goes on to say, kind and in submission to their husbands. They should not be fighting against their husbands. If their husband is led by the Lord to do something, they shouldn't be sitting there fighting over it, arguing they should fall under that leadership. Paul gives these assignments to women understanding their roles. And you keep going here. It talks about even uh, young men. In the same way, Titus encouraged the young men to be self-controlled in everything. That was one of the qualifications for young women. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Notice how Paul talks about men, you make sure that when you teach the Bible, your life lines up with it. The reason I was three minutes late to Sunday night church is we had a deacon's meeting. And Raphael Jubin gave a 22-minute devotion in our deacon's meeting. He prepared a message in our deacon's meeting at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And he spoke about someone he knows in Cameroon. He says, you live in Cameroon? Oh, I'm sorry. He lives here in the United States. We won't say his name. It's not me. He's a pastor. And he says his life is one of hypocrisy. This man goes on social media and talks about these same scriptures here we all talk about, that we all read. But his life does not line up with it. We are a Southern Baptist church. And this week, uh, at the Southern Baptist church, the way it works, we send 8% of our money to Louisville, which is the KB, we send to the Kentucky Baptist Convention. They keep 50, roughly 50% here for the state of Kentucky. And they send the remaining 50% to Nashville. That's where the capital is, not the capital, the headquarters, I guess to say, of the SBC. They're in Nashville. So that's roughly 4% of what they have. Well, the gentleman this week at the KBC, they're looking for what they call a new executive director. The executive director basically manages all of that money and oversees the administrative part of the cooperative program and the, the officers there in Nashville. Well, this week, they're looking for a new one. Well, the guy who was in the interim position, he was an applicant to go into that position. So basically they drop the word interim and he becomes the permanent executive director. Well, he had actually worked there for the uh, SBC 
convention, Southern Baptist Convention, for like 15 years in some other job, and he just worked his way up. Well, the committee that's looking to hire him was they got his resume, and one of the things they do on a resume, if you ever apply for a job, if you write on there that you go to Transylvania University and you graduated in 1995, a good employer would call up Transylvania. You can call up, it's like the records office, and say, I want to verify, did such and such graduate from your university in 1995 with this degree? And they'll say yay or nay. That's it. That's all they say. Yeah, he graduated. He graduated this date. He's good to go. He passed. He, he completed his degree. This guy, <coughs> this week, I believe it was on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday of this week, he had been, he'd applied for this job. So he's the interim director. And then he applied to the, be the permanent director. I mean, this would be your top position. Well, they did their homework, and they were, got his resume, and they were calling the th three different schools. He claimed he had a bachelor's, a master's, and a doctorate degree. Folks, every school, all three of those were a lie. He didn't graduate from any of those schools. Can y'all, I mean, literally, they said they did one month of investigation. Y'all go read this on Baptist Press. I mean, you've got the guy who's going to be the president of the executive committee of our convention who literally gave them a resume with, he's never even been to college. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, he didn't get a bachelor's degree. He's going around claiming he's Dr. So-and-so, and he has zero degrees. And you have to say, at some point, at some point, someone's going to realize this guy didn't go to that school. And then you know, he lost his job there. I mean, it's just shameful. I mean, he was an interim pastor. I don't know if he's still the interim pastor at another church there in Nashville. But that's the type of stuff that when the Bible teaches us, it says, make yourself, in verse 6, verse 7, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity. I mean, my goodness, surely if you're going to put on your resume that you graduated from a school, you need to at least have graduated from the school. You might have made it straight... 60s to get, barely get by but at least you squeaked by and you made it he they said he didn't even enroll in any of those schools and what's amazing about it he had worked for the convention for 15 years i mean and nobody even caught that and he would go around everywhere in the world i mean i'm facebook friends with this man like you know i've never met him but i know of him very well so you share you see this here and then Raphael shares how it's very easy in our in deacons' means he's sharing about how you, sh you can easily stand in the pulpit and pretend and say you're doing something, but then your life, it does not match up. Now, for a lot of us here, you say, Pastor, that's not, uh, that's not me. I'm not a professor of a school or leading a convention or preaching a church. But on a more practical basis, it's when you go to work and when you go to the store and you wear a cross around your neck and you're with your fellow employees at the company and when you go to school with other people and they know you're a Christian, but then if you're using foul language, if you're speaking bad, and you notice the word slanderers were used in here, if you're not truthful and you're lying, all of that hurts the cause of Christ. Because what's happening is what you claim to be as a Christian 
but what your actions, it, do, it does not line up. That's what Jesus called hypocrisy. That means your actions do not line up with your words. That's what a hypocrite is. A Bible-believing Christian should have their words, their commitment to Christ, their love for the Lord, should also line up with their actions. This should be a daily self-awareness for us. This is why we are called, this is why, why Paul is writing this letter here to Titus. He's saying, you need to make sure that your life, it is one of integrity and dignity of your teaching. Because I want to tell you, we laugh at that silliness that happened down at the Southern Baptist Convention. But there will be many people, and you know, me personally, that won't bother me. In many ways, it makes the convention look bad for allowing this man to uh, go on staff that long and they never do their background. Someone, did, the HR department didn't do their background work on looking into this guy. But there will be a lot of people, a lot of scoffers, a lot of people who are going to look at Christians and go, there you have it again. There's the hypocrisy. There's the lies. That's why I'm not a believer. That's why I'm not going to church. That's why I'm not giving my dollar to the Baptist church. Because of, they've got people literally just lying about school. You know, one of the universities was Duke University. That he, went, he claimed he graduated with a master's degree from Duke. Never even been to Duke. So, with that. All right, last verse I want to look at here. Then we're going to have an invitation respond to the Lord. Look at verse 8. This is our last verse of this evening. It says here in verse 8, Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. Meaning, you want to make sure, and I'm not just a preaching message, this is your lifestyle message too. Our message we give out, we want to make sure it's biblically sound. This is why for us as Christians, and we, when we live in a world that has moved from basically being a, I hate to use the word a Christian nation, but somewhat of a Christian heritage in our nation, to then a compromised nation, and that's when people were just giving in to sin maybe 40 years ago, and you started seeing divorce become more common in America. You started seeing uh, people all of a sudden uh, claim they were Christians, but they didn't go to church. You, know, you have to remember... There was once a time in the 1800s, one out of three Americans, this was amazing, during the revival days in the 1800s, one out of three Americans were just a Methodist. Not a Baptist, just a Methodist. That's how powerful, those were the days of John, the following John Wesley, George Whitfield, when you had the circuit-riding preachers. There were Methodist churches were literally on fire just preaching people for Jesus. One out of three people in this nation were actively attending a Methodist church. It was like one out of four Baptists. I mean, like 50% of America was Methodist and Baptist uh, 150 years ago. That's how strong that commitment was uh, to, to uh, just being a Bible-believing Christian. So what happens here, when we, it talks about when our message is one of compromise, we move from being somewhat of a Christian heritage nation to one of compromise where people start giving in on sin to now we've gone all the way over to a confused nation. Confused where people don't even know. See, in compromise day, the man who was unfaithful to his wife, at least he knew it was wrong. He, he, would, re, he would respond, 
He knew what a man was. He knew homosexual marriage was wrong. He knew what right and wrong was. But he compromised. Now, he might fall under conviction and God speak to him. But today, today's so confused, you go up to someone and you tell them to repent. They look at you, what are you talking about? I, there's nothing to repent of. He says, man, you're dressed as a woman. You don't even know. He says, I was born this way. Like, it's totally confused. Right has become wrong, and wrong has become right. And what's so challenging about that is they don't even, there's literally no Christian heritage whatsoever. In the compromise days, at least you could kind of say, hey, you know that's wrong. He says, yeah, I know it's wrong. Now they won't even, folks, a sinner won't even admit they're even wrong. They're so confused. That is what the devil has done. That's why it's more important now to be rooted in sound doctrine. You should be teaching your children, your grandchildren, anyone you have access to what is biblical truth. Folks, if we don't do it as Christians, no one else will. No one else will. They will have no idea. In the Bible, last verse here, it's been the last verse a while, it says in verse 8, your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed. Opponents are people who want to challenge you and see if you're a hypocrite because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. So being a Titus 2 woman is being one that is set apart, saying, I'm not going to go down this road of compromise and confusion that so many other women, so many other men, so many other people have gone down. I'm going to live my life different. If you are a Bible-believing Christian today, in 2023, you are a counter-cultural believer. I mean, you're different from everyone around us. And you want to make sure, it says, Lord, I want to be like Mary. Um, I don't want to be distracted by all my many tasks and the things that I need to do. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because what is said there in that verse there, in chapter, chapter 10, verse 42, what, was, what Mary had received, it will not be taken from her. She didn't lose that. Mary got something at the feet of Jesus that Martha didn't for doing. And you as a Christian, you want to make sure that you are like Mary. You are getting something from the Lord. God, I pray for all the folks here this evening. Lord, I pray that as we go in this time of invitation, that we will take these words and they will speak to us and they will, they will be words of hope, words of encouragement, and words of admission that we need to make sure that we are like Mary, sitting at your feet, eagerly awaiting for you to teach us. Lord, I thank you for us being able to come to Sunday night church to learn about you. Jesus, this invitation, and I'm sure there's some people here that have prayer, that need to make a decision, that need to get saved, that need to uh, call upon the Lord. Jesus, this invitation, as I stand up front, I pray that you will lead them into responding. We never want to be bashful to respond. Lord, we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We close every single worship service here with an invitation. This is your time. You can come forward. I stand down front. I'll pray over you. Christ calls us publicly. We can have other people pray for whatever your needs are. You can also make a decision. If you want to join our church, or maybe you want to get baptized as a believer, you come and take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to do this for the Lord. So we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing our songbook. Gene's going to lead us our song, and Betty on the piano.
Hymn number 412, The Savior is Waiting. <laughs> 